It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. You're listening to the Go Birds Pod, a radio.com podcast about your beloved birds. What's going on, Philadelphia? Hello, everybody. Welcome into the first real new episode off of uh, the Patreon page. Of the Beast. I'm John Barchard here with you every week. Uh, We will obviously mix Eagles in when we're talking about the NFC East, but uh, we will uh, just be keeping an eye on the enemy as we go along throughout the season. And of course, there's a lot of things to get into. Coming up on the show today, Emery Hunt from footballgameplan.com. The footballs are uh, himself will join us as he was at uh, Giants camp. He's going to kind of give us the lowdown on what's happening there. The Eagles have signed Corey Graham. He missed his anniversary by two days. We were able to catch up with him at the uh, open practice on a Sunday night, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins for a little bit as well. And uh, we obviously have got to talk about Brian Dawkins' speech at uh, some point. I think we want to save that for the end because it was phenomenal. And if you weren't crying, I don't think you were human as Doc was honest and open. And I thought it was perfect. 20 minutes of just uh, it appear awesomeness. Jeffrey Laurie was talking about it as well. But uh, let's let's start with the obvious things that have happened in the last 24 hours. And the fact is that Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman are going to be with the Philadelphia Eagles front office for the foreseeable future as they get extensions through 2022. Uh, Jeffrey Laurie was pretty <laughs> straightforward about it. It's more like a well, duh. So today, very simple. Um uh, this is an opportunity to really solidify the great leadership we have as an organization. Uh, Howie and Doug, uh, two very, very impressive uh, leaders who collaborate and are a big part of the success of this franchise. Um, they really have instilled a culture of collaboration, teamwork. Uh, it's all about the group and the team. Uh, they they work well with everybody. 
They're not afraid of hiring people that are very smart and terrific within uh, their areas. Um, there's just uh, an ability to be wonderfully collaborative between them, between their staffs. Uh, they're both um, aggressive. They're both uh, risk takers. Uh, it's part of our culture. We never want to lose that. The first thing on my mind hearing the news after duh was what a journey for both of these guys because obviously i was thinking about doug peterson and just going from a backup quarterback to literally being booed in the first half of what was that a cowboys game where they're just begging for donovan McNabb to be in there and they still come back and end up winning the thing anyway and that was kind of like your first taste of one how how just you know stubborn Andy was going to be, and that's how he was throughout the rest of his coaching career, and seeing all that on top of you know Doug Peterson pulling something out when you don't expect him to, and that's been him since he's been back. Mostly, you know, you go from backup quarterback to a guy that everyone was unsure about in Kansas City of what exactly he did, and it's funny talking to some Kansas City people now throughout the uh, the last couple of weeks on just because Nagy's now with the Chicago Bears, so people are asking questions about that, and I remember being at the Combine and, and, and just having a lot of great conversations with some good football people, and I, I think there's a, a dynamic that is still hanging around Andy that is not quite... For, for instance, a guy told me that I think Andy has taken a lot more from the offensive coordinators, at least the younger guys that have are, are now been in his you know coaching tree for a long time and implemented, which is great signs for a good coach. And I mean, that's what Doug Peterson is doing here. But almost like there's a restrictor plate on that offense. And obviously, now that we've seen Doug Peterson's offense, I, it feels like Matt Nagy was feeling the same way and I'm I'm guessing at some point that DeFilippo and, and why he wants to every guy wants to control his own offense is because you know you think you can just do it a little better Doug has certainly shown that uh, Matt Nagy supposedly is going to be the next one to really jump out at, at people and granted you know, a lot of people are excited about new coaches and offensive minds and things like that. But uh, to me, it's just a, a roundabout way of, of saying, like, we, we didn't know what was happening. Uh, and, and literally, he's the last guy on the list for a brand new head coach. And this is coming from a guy who Howie now has been extended through 2020. That we all said once the chip stuff was happening, he gets you know shoved in that broom closet or whatever. And I know that me and James and a lot of people on the podcast were very critical of Howie Roseman and how everything was being handled and just all the weird stories that happened around you know that regime too. And you have both of these guys that were very maligned really until I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody hopped on the Howie train as soon as Carson Wentz you know, came back or it was drafted here and they moved up for him. And uh, and Roseman got right back into the swing of things with how good he was at, at trading and, and all that. We know the story of that. But with Doug, it's it's just an even bigger like, wow, they were literally going to hire Tom Coughlin or think about hiring Tom Coughlin before they brought you in here. And the same with Ben McAdoo, which, wow, did you know everybody dodged a bullet on that one. Or Hugh Jackson or everyone that we thought of would be a, a better replacement for Chip Kelly. And in two years, he goes and wins a Super Bowl. I'm really happy for Peterson and, uh, and Roseman that they've kind of said, like, hey, guys, you know, we, we took all that criticism and look what we did with it. And 
you know, Jeffrey Lurie emphasized the collaboration part of all this and uh, didn't mention him by name, but eventually in questions got to Joe Douglas and uh, Don Slominski and uh, just everybody. And that's how it has to be now. And he took some pretty good shots during the press conference, too, by the way, where he just launches in and, and says, You have to be incredibly collaborative uh, to be very successful. And um, the old days of the NFL and sports about a general manager watching film and scouting and picking players is just about as outdated as, um, I would say, newspapers. But I don't want to say that because I'm a big reader of newspapers. So I'm not the one to ever say that. But it's like, uh, you know, it, it's just an outdated philosophy. Nope. I, uh, that's not what I meant. I meant I still love newspapers uh, and everything's great. So uh, I thought Jeffrey did a good job of, of catching him, even though I think there was a front row of Nothing but, uh, you know, inquire and in Philly, uh, Philly, uh, you know, dot com guys in front of them. So um, that is absolutely the uh, the, you know, the uh, the duh move of the offseason with Howie and Doug being there. Now, Doug speaks. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Monday. So I think uh, what are we at? Uh, Doug is going to speak tomorrow, Tuesday as, hey, we're going to ramp up and actually see some football, which is going to be uh, pretty fun as well. I, I do wonder, and we tried to ask Lori yesterday, if is, does this mean that Doug is getting to a point of maybe he doesn't still have quite a say in the groceries that Roseman and Joe Douglas are picking, but maybe, you know, they he kind of moves forward with it. And although he, um, or not moves forward with it, but actually has a hand in it. Uh, and I know he said before in the past that he doesn't really want that responsibility because I think he's seen the downfall of so many people now. And that's the that's a, a bigger eye-opener to this, too, and on, I think, organizations. Not only have we said so many times, well, the Eagles are going to be the model to pick apart in terms of what they've been doing, like with their running back situation or, or their offense or allowing a lot of the college game to influence it, which I'll get into that uh, in a little bit, too. Uh, but it's also the way that their front office is structured. Like, it is very specialized. And it, it, and sometimes in any business, if things are so specialized, sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen or, or two people are doing the same job, basically. And you've all been through that. I've been all through that in, in how sometimes that's not the best. But it really has... Uh, a very big collaborative effort and that's uh, from the last couple of practices that I've seen and uh, last night Sunday night was such a nice treat to one actually be in an air conditioning press box uh, but to uh, to meet everybody too that was down there was really cool uh, just because uh, we, we don't often get to you know shake hands and do all that stuff too so uh, thanks to everybody that uh, was going around the stadium and and uh, and just you know uh, wanting to introduce themselves that was really really cool uh, but also this is this is going to open up Doug's playbook a lot more, I, I, I feel. And I'm not the first one to kind of say that. There's other people that have been noticing this as training camp is going on. There's just a lot of different looks. Maybe they're just doing it for whatever. You know, like they're running like 14 personnel with four tight ends out on the field and, and one running back. And there's no wide receivers. And Richard Rodgers is in the backfield. And they're doing all sorts of stuff. The, the one thing that I have noticed more, and maybe it is just in – it just feels like a staple at this point, but it looks like Doug Peterson is a little – all in on on jet motion 
and other disruptions like that. Like, you know, he's talked at length about RPOs and Obviously, we know that those have worked for Nick Foles, but even just being as open to say, listen, uh, Deuce was around when Chip was around. I didn't really know too much about RPOs uh, and how they're going to function in terms of packages uh, and the specific ones that they were running, because obviously they had package plays that from 2016. I mean, opening day, they were running some form of that against the Cleveland Browns. And I think that's what ultimately led to uh, that first uh, opening touchdown drive with Carson Wentz and Jordan Matthews catching the uh, catching it in the end zone. Uh, by the way, rest in peace for him. As man, I don't know if he's going to get another gig. And that's that's uh, you know as much as we might have debated Jordan Matthews and and Alshon Jeffrey and all of that last season, uh, it really is disappointing that uh, uh, you know he gets injured and then he gets cut. So I hope hope he gets at least one more opportunity. But things are things aren't looking great. But even just thinking of that in terms of where that offense was in 2016 and how it evolved so much in 2017 and now you're seeing not only new wrinkles but the new personnel which is which is a part of those wrinkles because to us Nelson Aguilar jet motion and handing off with little sneaky moves in the playoffs was something that you hadn't seen really before Uh, and now you have an opportunity to not only do that with him but Mike Wallace is a good candidate for some of that Darren Sproles is an excellent candidate for that if you're going to spread out wide and then you know do a a, a jet twist or something where it's like a a tight end trade with Dallas Goddard who and Zach Ertz if they're both in line on 12 personnel you know when you got one running back and two tight ends and maybe you have all of a sudden that you know uh, Goddard steps, you know, behind the line and is now motion eligible, and he's screaming across to be the outside, you know, X receiver or Y receiver or w- whatever it is. I don't think we are ready yet for the full Doug Peterson effect, and a lot of it is taken from the college ranks more so than I think anybody else in the NFL right now. And I will say that's basic. What what we're seeing now is what we expected Chip Kelly to do. You know, this is Chip Kelly that's supposed to work at an NFL level because they really are some of the same concepts and ideas. And it's not necessarily that obviously we know it's not as uh, wasn't as executed as uh, (laughs) what am I trying to say? Chip Kelly sucked at it uh, by the time it got into, you know, 15, uh, 14 and 15, along with the personnel changes and whatever. And now, you know. And and listen, a, a lot of the, the what we're paying attention to during training camp is going to be the offense because it's the sexiest thing. It's it's what moves it. We're we're so uh, obsessed with Carson Wentz. We're so just ingrained with hopefully he's there in week one. And I get all that, but uh, uh, there is there's a lot of things happening differently with this whole entire team. Uh, but my point is the the offense is going to continue to open up especially with the types of personnel that they have here. And that's why when James and I debated on the main pod, it's it really is, I, I, I have a hard time believing that it's going to be the same uh, in terms of what's expected of them this year. Like, it, oh, it'll just look like 2017. No, it's going to look like a, a very crisp ironed out 2017. Like, it's going to go to the next level because... What I think we forget is most of the time when you're dealing with a new rookie quarterback with Carson and his progression, year one, you're not throwing everything at him. Uh, Year two, because 
Carson has uh, basically a photographic memory. Uh, you can throw a lot at him in year two, and thus the advance in success, I think, was a lot because of that in mechanics in him and Filippo and all of that, right? So uh, the the book is now in year three, and that's even wider and more knowledge and more things. I don't think they've played their best football by a long shot in terms of creativity, uh, establishing Doug establishing more of his playbook and now that Mike grows in there and whatever he's going to throw in or press Taylor there is a lot of new wrinkles that is going to be very exciting to watch from week to week not only just from uh, amazing joy of Mac Collins you know going for 80 yards down field or whatever but it's also just like wow this is they are really taking a lot of different things that coaches should have been doing for a very long time and a lot of it is ego, which Jeffrey Laurie established during his press conference. And a lot of it is just this is how we do things and whatever. Uh, the collaborative part of the NFL, not only in on the field stuff, but also in the front office stuff. I, I believe the Eagles have changed the culture a little bit. And maybe that's overstating it because I'm sure this happens in a few other places. It really is just the success that they've had. Uh, while doing all this stuff, to me, is is really impressive, and you don't see it uh, that often in uh, what you know constantly is. Here's another North Turner. Here's another, you know, whatever offense has been working for a while. And sure, they've evolved things, and it's not not really to disrespect anybody around the league. It's just nice that along with what we've learned already with them being a part of Edge Sports and the analytics side of it, being collaborative at the front end. Uh, bottom office of this it's just it's working right now and there's only so long I think obviously before that ends that's the other part of this equation because somebody did ask about is Joe Douglas and his extension with the rest of these guys and Jeffrey kind of sidestepped that so that tells me a little, not a lot, but a little that it, it, it makes sense to me too that Joe Douglas eventually does want to run his own shop you know, and why would you leave right now? Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem like Joe Douglas will be here until 2022. Mainly because, just like everything else, why wouldn't you want to go uh, start your own gig and do that stuff? Uh, we will get into some uh, quotes and things from uh, Corey Graham and Malcolm Jenkins. But first, because it is the NFC Eve show, uh, we want to just get a grasp on what's happening around. The Beast, because, uh, you know, we have our first preseason football game coming up on Thursday, and no better guy to do that other than uh, Mr. Emery Hunt, the uh, football czar himself from Football Game Plan, who spent a lot of time at Giants Camp. I was uh, able to sit down with him last Friday, and here's my conversation with Emery on the Let's New York Let's talk about what Giants. you saw at Giants Camp here, because I don't know what to make of Vernon, only because you see a lot of tweets, and you see like, wow, you know, he's really ripping through everybody, and then you still realize it's still Eric Flowers, and no disrespect to Nate Solder, but... You know, they, it seems like they did do a little bit of overpayment with that because they desperately needed somebody to go play left tackle. But between that dynamic of Vernon and Solder and, and Flowers, what's your assessment of, of the newly revamped offensive line with the Giants? Well, I like how you put it because I still think there's room for them to grow, especially from a depth perspective. Um, so you still can have some questions. That's why I'm excited to see what they have in store in this first preseason game, because they're going to get a really good test against these Browns that I've seen the last two to three days, because 
Uh, the only thing is funny because the only person right now on the offensive line that I may have the least question about is the rookie Will Hernandez because he's been flat out balling all camp long. He's already entrenched as a starter at left guard. And like you said, Tolder is a, is a good player, but did they overpay for him? And uh, we still don't know what Eric Flowers is going to show up. Some days he's doing great. Other days he's doing okay. So they really need those tackles to flatline. But I would say the guards in the guard right now, combination of the Giants, it looks to be vastly improved. They, they haven't had a lot of interior pressure during practice. Um, but their defense really has amped up the pressure. And so I still kind of worry about those tackles. And you just have to wait and see how they perform in, in live action. Now, of course, everyone uh, in Philadelphia that's a Penn State fan is uh, already mad at me because my first question is not about Saquon Barkley, but I wanted to know about the offensive line, and especially I was a huge fan of Hernandez, and other than this particular pick, which, you know, again, the whole argument about running backs at number two, I, I think it gets ridiculous at some point uh, for the Giants themselves. You know, a lot of people thought, hey, you really should get a quarterback in the future. They go with Saquon Barkley. Obviously, he's probably looking pretty good in training camp. He's still a freak athlete. He was one of the best running backs in college football. Uh, what do you think is going to be uh, his first-year projection as you're seeing here with uh, with a few days of camp with the Giants? I think he's going he's gonna to easily get over 1,000 yards. I think he's going to have a healthy yards per carry average. I think the big myth right now that everyone is focusing on, um, they're thinking he's going to be this you know, six-to-reception guy out of the backfield or line up, you know, in the slot or something like that. But the Giants have really good receivers, and they have three guys that warrant the football in that in that aspect. And I don't think that's going to yield itself to Saquon Barkley being a, a top two receiver on the team. He's going to probably be fourth uh, in, in that regard. But as a running back, um, when you have the talent that he has, and you saw it a lot of times at Penn State, one thing you hear you hear about Penn State all the time uh, when Barkley was there it was, oh my God, the offensive line isn't good. The offensive line is is not as good as it should be. Well, talent supersedes system, and running back talent supersedes adequate offensive line play. So in conjunction with what we just talked about with the Giants' offensive line, I do think Barkley is going to make that line look a lot better than what it may be. And with his home running ability and his ability to make guys miss and, and to really – uh, pick up yards in chunks, I think he's going to have at least 12, 1,300 yards rushing this year. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't really surprise anybody. Uh, and I, I wonder, too, you know, obviously they signed Jonathan Stewart. Uh, there's a Dave Gettleman uh, connection there. Uh, what is their rotation going to look like behind Saquon Barkley, uh, if any, I guess, between him and uh, Wayne Gallman? And if there's anybody else that is <laughs> four or five there on the depth chart that I'm forgetting about, but what's their running back rotation looking like right now? Yeah, right now it looks like Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Stewart will be one and two. Uh, the battle for three is going to be interesting because you have Wayne Gallman, who was drafted last year, but Keep an eye on free agent Jalen Simmons out of South Carolina State. Uh, he's been performing well. Every time you look up at, at practice, he's ripping off a long run or, or picking up a big gain uh, in a in a third and short period or, or goal line period. Period. He's doing really well. Even the undrafted free agent Robert Martin out of nearby Rutgers has done extremely well. The only problem with him is that he's wearing number 49. So it's tough to really value his highlights when he's wearing 49. <laughs> you know, but he's been playing well, and Wayne Goldman is doing doing solid. So I think there's a a big competition for three uh, behind uh, Stewart and, and Barkley. It's going to be interesting to see if they keep three or four back. I think they may keep four back. So one of those guys, whether it be Goldman, 
or Simmons will have to contribute in another area on special teams. And man, they got a good returner in uh, Khalif Raymond. So I don't, I don't know if they're going to have room for four backs, but we'll see because we know how the NFL is. Uh, I mean, talking about Philadelphia, you have, you have a need for so many backs. So, I think they may keep four, but keep an eye on Jalen Simmons as a guy that could shine this preseason. And there's also kind of an interesting battle going on at the uh, wide receiver three position as well, where obviously we know about uh, Odell Beckham Jr. I think there's nothing different there other than his contract status, which we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but Cody Latimer, who is always kind of a meh guy for me in Denver and actually coming out of the draft and looking at his tape from Indiana for a very long time and being stuck in Big Ten land and watching that for a very long time, I was never really all overall impressed with his with his game, but there's also uh, Amba... Uh, at a Tewal, who I, I think I just botched that t- uh, terribly, uh, but between those two guys, uh, there is there's kind of a, a big battle going on. What what do you see in the differences between those two guys? I think you hit the nail on the head with, with Latimer. I, I see people talk about well, he's he's a good blocker. Like, well, if we're talking about receivers, and the first thing you bring up is blocking. Then I, I'm gonna need another guy in there, right? So, and you're right. Amba Adetawu has done phenomenal. Uh, he is one that really is excellent off his release. He does a, a great job in tracking the football, and he's been a star of camp so far. Khalid Raymond has had a really good camp as well. So I think those guys could also be in the mix. But when you, you see you see Latimer, he has a familiarity with the receiver coach, Ty Tolbert, which is why he came over uh, from the Denver Broncos, from the Indianapolis Colts, um, and I'm sorry, from the Denver Broncos. And then that's why he's here. But you're right. I think this offense will essentially be Beckham, Shepard, and Evan Ingram being the pseudo-third wide receiver because right now that job is wide open and someone really has to step and be consistent. And the, the guy so far in camp that has been as consistent is Ahmed Atau. It's going to be uh, pretty interesting to see how that finally rounds out because there's been a lot of times where you know, it gets into a lot of conversations in, in preseason, the last couple of off seasons with their wide receiving cores. Like, oh man, this could be one of the best in the league. Maybe this can go up against, you know, the Steelers or whoever or the Cardinals or, you know, that they were always kind of semi in that conversation every single year. And uh, maybe this is one of those years where. Uh, it is uh, certainly uh, kind of all comes together. You, you mentioned Evan Ingram; uh, it's been off the charts by by my recognition of all the beats that are have been covering this from day to day. That makes a lot of sense to me. I am curious about how the offense really is shaping up and working with Pat Shermer because a lot of the same things seem to be still with this offense, at least early. Short, quick passes. Uh, you know, it seems like they kind of still like Davis Webb. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you think about Kyle Laletta as well, but I know that's a bunch of stuff all wrapped up in one thing, but what is your make of the Pat Shermer offense uh, now that you've, you've seen it for a few days here? I like the multiplicity of the offense, and I think you're going to see them, if they can't find a third receiver, a consistent guy, then you're going to see more double tight end sets. Rhett Ellison is a guy that has been performing well in camp, and he's more of your blocker, your H-back, that allows you to flex out Ingram and, and get creative with him. Um, and I like how they're utilizing Saquon Barkley. Uh, you rarely see a fullback out there, uh, but if you do, it's, it's Shane Smith, number 43, who was a fullback last year, and I was that H-back blocker type. But I do think it's the three-by-one set. I think that's how you spread the field, and that's how you – put your, your guy in Saquon Barkley in an advantageous situation to where he can hit a lane and, and really rip off a long run. So you see a lot of movement. You see a lot of bunt sets, a lot of double tight end sets, 
uh, a lot of single backs, inside zone, um, some good counters. And I think all of that is conducive to a guy like Barkley having success in the running game and creating one-on-one mismatches and a lot of rough routes with those receivers because you have guys in Beckham and, and Shepard that are great in and out of their breaks, and they can really get open quickly. And Eli is at that age where he wants to get rid of that football quickly and not wait for those deeper routes to develop. So I think the offense will be productive. You know, it'll be a movement offense. You just have to hope that the offensive line can can sustain itself to be to be dropping back and, and pass for let's say twenty five to thirty times a game. Even even though it may be short passes, that offensive line really has to step up. And I know the pieces they've added. Uh, they talked about it a lot, but. Until we see it in live action against a different opponent, you, you still have to take that wait-and-see approach. You still have a question mark about the front five. Now, is there really a chance for there to be a f- quarterback of the future with what they have in, in Webb or Laletta at this point, or is this this is just kind of let's wait and see what we have in these guys, and when the time comes, we'll have to draft another quarterback? It's interesting because Webb came into – last year, Webb didn't get any reps in, in minicamp or training camp, and Geno Smith was the star in training camp and actually beat out Josh Johnson, which is why Johnson got cut. Geno got the, the second-string job. Webb didn't get any reps last year. This year, he came in on fire in minicamp, came in playing well early on in training camp, and then when the pads came on, he was back to his inconsistent self. Now, Kyle Oletta has been the most decisive guy as far as, okay, this is what they're trying to do. I see it. I'm going to throw it and let the chips fall where they make. He's also been excellent in the third medium uh, drills where the, the pressure is on and he's just completing passes. He doesn't have the arm, obviously, of, of Webb. He can't do things throwing the football that Webb can do. But it just seems as though from a situational football standpoint, you can trust Lawletta a little bit more. Now, I think both guys are kind of in the same boat. Um, they really are banking on Eli Manning. And I think when the time comes, they may look elsewhere to get another quarterback because both of these guys, Webb and Loletta, while they have their, their peaks, they also have their valleys, but I think they are not as consistent enough as you would want your franchise-caliber quarterback to be. Is it uh, a fair assessment to say that, uh, flipping to the defensive side here, that that linebacking core is probably their their weakest spot still? I mean, obviously, Snacks Harrison is, is back there. Uh, their defensive line has always been pretty decent. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, Vernon Oliver, I still don't know if that's quite an upgrade in terms of a, of a pass rush, and now he's playing kind of, you know, outside linebackers as opposed to putting his hands in the ground. If they've, they've uh, signed our good friend Connor Barwin, they've done a lot of kind of different things to reshape this thing, but it doesn't look like it's been that great of a camp for Alec Ogletree, uh, B.J. Goodson, who is uh, still one of their prizes from the 16 draft. W- what do you make of uh, of that linebacking core? I actually think they've done a good job here in, in, in really improving that unit. Um, B.J. Goodson is going to start this year. You're going to check him out. Um, this guy has been instinctive. He's been explosive upon contact. He's been really good versus the run. Also in pass coverage, he's been a nuisance. Uh, Lorenzo Carter is as good as advertised coming off the edge. I was surprised he dropped down to the third round because he's such a good run defender and wasn't asked to do much as a pass rusher at Georgia, but that's been on display. And, and you've seen guys, uh, Philly have a couple of guys like that that have that length. Uh, and that can really disrupt rushing lanes. It can also help you out as a pass rusher, and he has that. Uh, he's also been soaking in that defense pretty quickly, so he, you don't see any mental bust from him. Uh, Olivia Vernon is going to be good. Uh, I think giving him, putting him off the line of scrimmage and allowing him to do that one thing, which is rush the passer, is going to help him be much more productive. Uh, but you're right, Alec Ogletree, I think, is 
one question mark that they still have uh, at, at inside linebacker. And I think that's going to be the biggest question because they made a move to get him. They traded for him. So, you know, he's going to start. But that may be the question mark of that defense, and that's the one area where I think they still have a chance to improve. But also keep an eye on Ray Ray Armstrong. I think his ability as a matchup guy, because of his experience playing safety, playing inside backer with San Francisco, playing outside backer at Miami as well, um, I think all of that helps him out in, in making his team but also making an impact. And it, you know, when you look at the secondary, too, uh, a lot of talent and a lot of drama all at the kind of the same time. And when I say talent, I, I still don't know what Eli Apple in his future looks like uh, right now. It seems like he's had a little bit of an up-and-down camp to kind of start going in there. I don't know if him and Landon Collins have hugged it out and just said we're get, we got to get along and we got to do this thing um obviously we know Janoris Jenkins situation that's got to be very stressful for him but overall uh what do you see with the uh the secondary right now Eli Apple has had a really good camp I'll, I'll give him that he's been consistent as far as his coverage his technique um Landon Collins has done a great job as well I think Darian Thompson will be the underrated uh, rising star as now that he's healthy and, and will be in a situation where he can play a true center fielder uh, with this aggressive defense. The question I have about the Giants secondary, and it's a big one, I don't think they have the depth. They're they're deeper at safety than they are at, at corner, as as evident by the recent uh, inquiries and in, in signing new corners to bring out the training camp uh, because they are really not that deep at nickel. And that's what happens when you lose a guy of Dominic Rodgers Bernard, he actually completed that second round because he could play nickel, he could play on the outside, he could also play safety, and allows you to be a little bit more versatile. You don't have that versatility now with with him gone, and they're really trying to bank on Andrew Adams stepping up for safety, Michael Thomas, a free agent from Miami, stepping up at safety. Uh, Dante Dean is the one guy out that group that has been playing outstanding football, and he's probably more in line to win that nickel job over a free agent signing. He encourages Rodgers to sign his offseason from Tennessee, so. There are some questions, significant questions in the secondary, and to me, that would be the, the big uh, boogeyman, so to speak, for this Giants defense. If, if any one of those front-line starters get injured, they could be in serious trouble. That is why he is here to, uh, you know, see, I, I'm coming into this reading uh, a bunch of beef writers tweets and going, oh, the linebackers uh, are the weakest one. And actually, the secondary looks uh, just the same as it did, did in, uh, you know, 2016. Uh, doesn't seem to be the case with the eyes of Emory Hunt. And that is why he is down and on the field from football game plan. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Emory. And uh, we will catch up with you very soon. Anytime, man. I always appreciate it. I always enjoy uh, talking shop with uh, with Emory Hunt. Once again, footballgameplan.com uh, for that. Only thing I'll say is I think it's pretty, uh, and I can't believe I didn't address this while we were chatting, but my head was in like 50 different places. Uh, Twelve to 1,300 yards for Saquon Barkley seems awfully high, doesn't it? Twelve to 1,300 yards receiving and rushing? Absolutely. I could definitely see that. And even just him, de- uh, Emory, describing Shermer's offense, it's still seems like Ben McAdoo's offense. And more than likely, it'll be coached a little better, but by, by how much? Now, I, that's where I, I tend to see, especially for fantasy-type value in, in like PPR and stuff. Yeah, if you're looking for the quick out, Saquon Barkley's probably going to be the guy that the Giants are going to go to uh, more times than not. But they do have a lot of different weapons, and 
as much as it pained me, you know, Hernandez is a really good pick. And I know there's been debates on, you know, they should have taken a quarterback. And, you know, I don't think Saquon Barkley is, is ultimately going to be uh, the the greatest thing on earth, like one of the best running backs ever. But he's going to be a very good uh, running back. So there is con- some concerns, though, but I'm still leaning on my, my draft takes of, Listen, I, I just I just think they, the Giants made a huge mistake, and we kind of know what Dave Gettleman is already, and it's no disrespect because I know he's going through some health issues, but at the same time, I'm just I, I'm, I'm going to have to see it before I believe it, and it's still Eli Manning, and it's still Pat Shermer. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be that, and we've certainly think, seen things turn around, and, and ju- trying to judge Pat Shermer off of one year with the Browns is still really hard, and I even tried to buy myself into Pat Shermer and Sam Bradford being here for a long time, and ugh, that sounds so disgusting. It seems like eons ago that we were having those takes, but uh, uh, definitely something to keep an eye on with the Giants. I did think it was funny, uh, it, nothing much out of, uh, out of Washington in the past couple of weeks other than obviously Josh Doxson was still going through some shoulder pains and stuff after landing on it in uh in practice one day uh, nothing is really sticking uh, out to me at this point what is sticking out to me is just because it's fun and i will always love making fun of the cowboys and i don't know if it is a concern or not but as we go through the training camp process everyone knows that stuff matters and stuff doesn't and it, it still is not a a predictor of what's going to happen in the, during the season but like Dak Prescott not throwing a touchdown in practice is bad right like that's bad because even in controlled environments which Carson Wentz Nate Sudfeld Nick Foles and Joe Callahan I've seen four quarterbacks that have thrown touchdown passes no matter who's out there several times during the Eagles training camp and the fact that Dak Prescott has not done that, and it was like a thing on the NFL Network. And again, we don't know exactly. I didn't hear the full clip, so it might just be headline grabbing here. And if it is, whatever. I'm still going to make fun of him anyway. But that's bad, right? Like Dak Prescott not throwing touchdowns in controlled environments is, is bad for the Cowboys. Great if you're anybody else in the NFC East. So it really will be in a very interesting conversation as the season starts or preseason starts if Ezekiel Elliott is back and you know uh, Lyle Collins is is finally going to play right tackle a lot better than he did last year which is still a thing for me and uh, the offensive line is still good and if they go back to the old formula of throwing 19 passes a game that which they did with Romo in his last years there too there's always kind of that success that's there. And this is what I'm talking about. From from the beginning of what we were chatting about with Doug and Howie, like Dallas doesn't seem like the type that it's in, advancing towards where football is and is going. Because if you are still worried about ball control in 2018, that's an issue. That's not something that just can be stepped over lightly. If he, and we even got into those debates with the Eagles for a very long time. If you are saying run the ball more still, still after what the Eagles did and their situational running, more or less, which, which got them more success because throwing in a lot more situations on where the old school book tells you to run is not really how you should value your game and and it's another thing that came 
from college and explosive plays and 20 plus yard plays with which Warren Sharp has has pointed out many times of that if you have big plays and you don't turn over the ball which is no no crap John but that's where you should be focusing most of your hey we got to go win this thing that's what caused the Eagles to do what they did and if Dallas is going to go back to let's go with what's successful even after it looks like they have an improved defense which they do and I got to be honest their corners are starting to scare me a little more with Byron Jones being back there he was I, I loved him uh, coming out of BYU and now he's actually playing the position which he should be playing um, you know when you have a, a, a what seems to be a pretty good secondary now or at least better than it it was and, and now you're trying to or maybe they are because that's the other thing I don't understand either people are getting excited for Tavon Austin as an outside wide receiver in Dallas and maybe that's what's happening you know it maybe it's not even Dak Prescott maybe it's literally like people all want Cole Beasley and Tavon Austin playing the outside what is wrong with them? I mean, <coughs> excuse me, I'm choking on it because I'm just, I'm so baffled by, I mean, don't disrupt your enemy making mistakes, but it doesn't make any sense at all, any sense at all. And there's been rumors flying out of Dallas where it's been, you know, Tyreek Hill-like uh, uh, looks for Tavon Austin, which again, everyone has tried already. Everyone. And you can say whatever you want during when the Rams were in St. Louis and they did, you know, nobody, nothing really worked out for them in St. Louis. But you had, again, by every measure, one of the most powerful and will continue to be one of the most powerful offenses in the league in the Los Angeles Rams. And they couldn't find a way to use him. That tells me a lot. That tells me a lot. Uh, And. I, I know it's been, well, Dallas will be number two in the division. I don't know, guys. I really don't know anymore. Because it might be Giants two, Washington three, Dallas four, or they're fighting it out for three and four. I, there, there's nothing that's changing. And I know that, you know, people aren't giving a lot of credit to Des Bryant and his tweets and things like that, but he's not wrong when he's saying he's they're lined up in the same spots over and over again. I've never seen the Cowboys be creative ever uh, since since Jason Garrett got in there. I just haven't. It's just been, uh, to, to what I've just been saying, ground and pound for most of it, and that's what got a lot of their success uh, early, unless the, you know, the, the Des actually catched it year where you know they were aggressive downfield. And if you if if Dak Prescott ends up being a guy you can't attack downfield with 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 Ezekiel Elliott, which you're going to have people, you know, hey, let's let's make sure that we we slow him down, and you don't have the opportunities to go and take those shots, which so far uh, Dak hasn't been able to take advantage of that. And you know, I know Des Bryant was not playing well, but you still, in typical Cowboys fashion, just the same with Murray, they didn't replace Murray. They didn't. They couldn't. They couldn't do it. Even it might be effective by the numbers, but it wasn't effective to win football games. And the same with Des Bryant. Yes, is Des Bryant the same wide receiver that he was? Absolutely not. There is no way he is. It's obvious by everybody's eyes because it wasn't just Dak either. It was just. It was. It was a lot of different things. And his his quarterback was somewhat at fault for that too. You know, it's it's everybody. Uh, but again, they don't. I mean, whatever. Uh, Alan Hearns. That's going to be the guy. 
that is that is gonna you know I I'm I, I'm not buying that I'm not still buying into that you can skimp on wide receivers because we all know that's not really true you know running backs maybe a, a little different uh, but that's where their power is their power is going to be through their running game and they're gonna say and every team in the league is going to make Dak Prescott prove it this year uh, so. Hopefully for all of us, he can't, and, you know, it just kind of rolls on uh, from there. Let's get into uh, some sound from last night as uh, the um, the Eagles held their open practice. And, uh, of course, Corey Graham was on the forefront of a lot of questions and uh, some uh, some good questions in the pool as we are all standing at, uh, you know, the 40-yard line of Lincoln Financial Field about whether or not, Hey, uh, hey, Corey, did the guys give you a lot of crap about, uh, you know, the timing of you suddenly coming back and, and missing a, a big uh, chunk of training camp here? Did it matter of you just having to tell them that you were ready? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a situation. I mean, we've been communicating. I mean, they knew that if I did decide to play, it was only going to be here. Um, I didn't even entertain anything from anyone, anyone else. I knew that I wasn't going nowhere else to play. So it was just basically if I, if I feel like my body was going to hold up or not. Is this the last year or is there no decisions made? I'm assuming it's the last year. If I say anything other than that, my wife might kill me. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, this is the last year. How's your knee doing? Doing pretty good. I'm doing good. I can't complain. She's doing better. Uh, she's moving around. She's doing everything the way she can and things like that. So, I mean, it's a great opportunity for me to be able to leave now. She can do with everything she needs to. Corey, your birthday was the day the Eagles recorded the camp. Was that their gift to you? Did you like to wait a couple more weeks? Oh, really? Was it? Yeah. You think I didn't know that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been tough. I mean, it's definitely been tough to report on my birthday, but it wouldn't have been the first time. I mean, after 12 years, I mean, it's happened plenty of times where I had to report on my birthday. So um, that's nothing new. It was just just timing, just to see when I'm ready to go. I mean, when I need to be here and things like that. So I mean, we decided that it was going to be August 4th, and I knew I was going to be here. How much were you paying attention to what was going on here when you hadn't signed yet? Every day. Yeah. I mean, every day, every day, I, I was paying attention to what was going on, who was doing what how things were going, making sure guys were healthy, wasn't nobody, no big injuries. I mean, every day, every day I was looking at the website, making sure that everything was okay with the guys. Do you talk to Trey at all? All the time, all the time, man. He's been doing great. He's been doing great. I mean, I've been checking up to see how he was playing and things like that. He's been doing a great job. Out here is making plays. I mean, that's all you can do. I mean, he's pretty much in all the positions that I was in last year. He's at PP right now. I mean, he's doing everything, but he's playing well. I mean, I can't. I mean, I just want to come out here and do whatever it is they ask me to do and just have fun playing. I mean, it's, it's always going to be competition and things like that, but, I mean, when it's all said and done, I want those guys to do well. Corey, what, why now? Because I know it's been kind of discussed about since the draft. Your name yeah. popped up, so how come, you know, August 5th here in South Philly? I feel like I'm ready. I um, feel like I'm ready to play again. Um, you know, it's a lot of training. I've been training for, like, the last three months, so when it's all said and done, i got to make sure that I, I don't want to just be out here just not doing what I'm supposed to be able, what I want to be able to do. I mean, I ain't coming out here to be getting beat every play and things like that. If I feel like I can't play to the level I need to play at, then I wouldn't do it. Um, when it's all said and done, I had to make sure that my body was going to hold up. Would you have entertained any other situation, or did you want to come back to Philadelphia? I wasn't going anywhere else. I told him from the beginning, if I play another year, it was only going to be here. Ah, yes, Corey Graham signing day might be his uh, his very last Corey Graham signing day with uh, the Eagles. But still, again, pretty cool that... You know, there was only going to be one spot for him uh, if they would have him. Of course, Malcolm Jenkins uh, was there uh, last night, too. And I got to say, 40,000 plus just and I know it's free and whatever, but that was really cool to see. And, you know, uh, shout out to Gail and E-Rock and everybody who is <laughs> uh, the Eagles players are having a lot of fun. Uh, I think they were signing, uh, signing a, a bunch of just random stuff and um, the, the coolest tradition that they have of you know the the opening night practice to 
kind of just give a little hat tip to all the active members in the military to do the jersey exchange and just to spend like five, ten minutes, you know, just uh, talking and, and, and sharing stories back and forth was was really, really cool to see uh, as well. I love that the Eagles do that um, every single year. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins was also there, asked about just how the environment was last night in practicing in front of that. And, of course, you know, he takes some shots at uh, Corey Graham for uh, for missing camp. I mean, it felt like a game, you know, environment. You know, there's obviously a lot of a lot of excitement coming off of last year's season, uh, seeing, you know, what this new team will look like, some of the new faces. Uh, the crowd is definitely, you know, excited. So i got a feeling some of these preseason games are going to be uh, <laughs> kind of loud. Are you going to let Corey Graham keep getting away with this thing about missing the beginning of training camp? Oh, no, no, no. We've been on his neck since he stepped in the building. Uh, he's pulling, pulling a nice little vet move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe I'll take a page out of his book when, I, when I'm 12, 13 years in. But, I mean, he's obviously, you know, a guy who's played a lot of ball. We're not worried about uh, taking a ton of reps. The one thing that is curious to me about the Corey Graham signing, because, again, even today when Jim Schwartz is being interviewed at camp, you know, again, big praise for Trey Sullivan. Big praise for... You know, this guy's going to go out and, and get it, and he's been working every single day. Um, and I'll play a clip for you in a, in a little bit of – I remember talking to him during OTAs and just him improving his press coverage and his, uh, you know, getting his head in the playbook. And it looks like he has really done that. And I wonder because, to me, early on, or at least right now, he's got a shot and an opportunity to take that away from Corey Graham or at least split with him. So I am really curious how that – is going to work moving forward, but I remember asking Trey just, you know, the things that he had to work on, and this is from, uh, I believe, June 18th or somewhere around there, uh, on on what he wants to accomplish by, you know, when it, when it is time for them to make decisions on who is on the active roster. Uh, how have things been so far? Yeah, everything's been going good, uh, just progressing uh, day by day, you know what I'm saying? Um, ups and downs throughout camp. Of right. course, that's always going to happen, but that's what this part is for, for training camp, that everything can be uh, solid. And is it the kind of the same mentality almost he had? I mean, everybody remembers last preseason yeah. when you were just that Green Bay game. Yeah. Hard <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'd say for uh, year two, the mentality is different, um, different opportunities for myself, and um, just kind of trying to be the best me so I can uh, help the team the best that I can, uh, and, whether it's... And are you worried? About, I mean, like, obviously nobody's counting numbers or anything right, like that, but... Right. Do you look at kind of how the roster is built? I mean, just in the DBs alone, it's pretty tight right now. Uh, no. I mean, I try to just focus on uh, what I'm doing on the field. Uh, last year, I felt like I focused on numbers too much and uh, kind of held myself back in different aspects of that. So I'm just focusing on uh, my technique, uh, the scheme, and how I can help the team the best I can. What's kind of the biggest technique, I guess, that you are working on from this past yeah. year like to now? Uh, I'd say my uh, man-to-man technique. So, I mean, last year, everyone kind of knew me for being very physical and things like that. Uh, uh, that, that's never going to leave my game, of course, uh, but I do want to be more of an all-around player. So, like I said, I'm focusing on my technique and uh, being more of a cover safety and, and being able to just be a, a well-rounded safety. Is it for that, is it more of like a, a depth thing for you to for coverage purposes, or is it literally just the steps of, you know, of coverage technique? Or? Uh, yeah, just the steps of, like, coverage yeah. uh, technique and things like that. So, uh, like, press man, uh, playing off man and things like that. Uh, being being able to still uh, do my job while disguising defenses and things like that. So and just making sure I'm making the correct calls and making sure everyone's on the same page. What's gonna in your mind? What is going to be the overwhelming factor for you to be on the active roster this year? Uh, just just 
being in my playbook, uh, knowing the scheme as much as I can, uh, different spots, because, I mean, as you know, our secondary, everyone plays so many different spots. So I think that would be like a big key uh, for myself, just learning each position on the field, what everyone's doing, and then uh, when I am on the field, what my position is and what my role is. And sorry, that was actually from uh, June 13th, but still uh, right around OTAs. And, um, you know, we even got into some some semi-film breakdown because I remember trying to trying to figure some things out for our good friend Michael Kist at the time. And he really does seem to have a better sense of what Jim Schwartz's scheme is is all about. So, uh, and he seems like totally like a Jim guy in the locker room. He's always asking questions, and it's nice to hear that him and Corey Graham are, you know, because just like Corey was saying, I don't, I, I don't think it makes it that you know it trays any less likely to make the roster or anything like that. Uh, they are learning from one another, and he's a guy that's constantly asking questions off of everybody, off of the safeties, off of Rizal Douglas. Um, it, it's definitely an environment where you can see that everybody's trying to, uh, you know, make their best efforts and to communicate. And there isn't like, hey, man, you know, because you always hear those stories from a lot of uh, uh, a lot of football players, you know, like Trotter uh, or, you know, uh, Barrett Brooks, who's been on the Next Level podcast with us for a very long time. And you just hear it like, man, I'm not. Not teaching you anything about my <laughs> my job, and it's a uh, it seems like it is a really different environment for that. You know, Chris Long, Derek Barnett do the same thing, uh, and again, it's not like it's uncommon at all. It's just you hear it openly uh, a lot when uh, you have media access in the locker room. It's a really nice thing to hear. Speaking of safeties, uh, last but not certainly, certainly, certainly not least, how about Brian Dawkins? How about that speech, man? I mean, that to me is. It was such an important thing to hear for everybody, for everybody. To him to to open up and just say he wishes that he could put that gold jacket in the, the lining inside the gold jacket with all the people that helped him get to there and all the people that pushed him, including you know his mentors, including all of the, you know, the Patrick Sapp from from Clemson and all of this different stuff, the people that pushed him and the people that didn't believe in him. And it just, it really resonated. We learned a lot, you know, and especially that Brian Dawkins has been so open about how he's, how he dealt with a lot of depression and a lot of alcoholism and a lot of all of that. And you wouldn't have known that at all from seeing how strong Brian Dawkins is, because that's what he was. He was emotionally strong. He was physically strong. And to hear him describe how his mother brought him up and said, listen, if we're going to fight, I might lose, but we're going to fight. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to make sure that you know that I'm there, that I'm not going to back down from from anything. And to hear that was great. All the other different things, too. Like, you know, haters becoming elevators. Uh, and that's true of everybody's life. And And when he turns to his wife at the end, and just says, I got you a gold jacket, too. And it's this nice little gold veil that, uh, you know, one of the family members puts on him. Like, it was so phenomenal to see. Uh, and then, of course, you know, at the end, giving it to uh, letting every Eagles fan know that, you, hey, you guys paid good, hard money to travel to Ohio to come celebrate that with us was such a cool thing. And uh, to me where he started getting into, you know, don't settle, never settle in your life was something I needed to hear so badly after the last couple of weeks, guys. And I got to tell you, it's been hard 
to deal with and you know he's even saying preparing for the pain and when people put you in a box and when people try to tell you who you are and how to be more like Brian Dawkins you know we've all at some point in our lives looked to this team and looked to Brian Dawkins a lot for strength and we always say how much we're going to run through brick walls the moment that he speaks is something that resonates with me so badly in the last three weeks of how people will always try to tell you who you are and what you're about And it's so refreshing to hear that the people we idolize hurt just as much as we do and are just as open as we are, especially in this podcast. It kills me right now because much like Brian Dawkins, I do wear my emotions on my sleeve a lot, a lot. And if you know me, you know that I am nothing but open and transparent and it kills me sometimes that you have to be put in a particular box and you can't say much more so just know that throughout life sometimes things are not what they seem and always remember who you are and where you came from and realize that it is not just you that got to this position in life that there is a lot of other people that helped you along the way. That was one of the biggest and greatest messages that he got across and that he was able to show that is not weak. It is not weak to look for the the betterment of your mental health and for everything in life to be a, a journey and make sure that you are mentally up strong along with being physically strong and what an amazing message for everyone to hear brian dawkins i love you and i hope that you can continue this journey after now in your second or third or fourth or fifth career that you are going to get into brian dawkins will always be a part of me as i hope he is a part of all of you guys and i want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this podcast and hopefully all the ones in the future because if you know me you know that I'm going to give it everything that we have day in and day out and I respect every single one of you that do for uh, the first episode of the beast it has been a lot of fun and we will get into more as the weeks go by as we have a hanging we got a preview show we have We have the Steelers. It is preseason. It is football. It is all happening right in front of our eyes. Uh, John Lenyard from the finally the launch the draft network is going to join me as we're going to break down the Steelers side of things. Uh, We will uh, see what we're looking for. And it's going to be very, very exciting. At John Barchard at Go Birdspot is where you can find us. And we will see you here next week with uh, preseason results around the NFC East on the Go Birdspot network on Radio.com and Sports Radio 94 WIP. You've been listening to the Go Birds Podcast, a Radio.com podcast.